Hello, hello, this is Tracy Harrell, and welcome to Bigger Than Me. Each week, we focus on how to achieve your definition of success and happiness. On Bigger Than Me, we bring together a combination of ageless wisdom, the latest research, and engaging interviews with amazing people who are sharing their stories to help each of us achieve our full potential. Your journey to transformation begins right now. Let's do this. All right, ladies, let's do this. All right, Tracy. I am, I'm always so excited, but the two of you are two of my favorite people, and this is actually one of my favorite topics. So today we are gonna be talking about achieving racial equity and inclusion in business. Now, this isn't a new topic. Right. We've talked about it numerous times. We've been talking about it for 30 years. So some people are like, I'm exhausted, but we're going to take this conversation to another level. We're going to focus on this idea of how do we help people to realize that it's deeper than just, you know, this this concept of inequities. Like we, we talk about unequal performance standards and unconscious bias, and it seems like a benign thing you know, academic term that's happening. It doesn't seem like it's people's lives that are being traumatized when they happen in the workplace because it leads to a number of, of major issues. So I created this term and it's called corporate chokeholds. Stop corporate chokeholds. I'm actually writing in some academic journals and everything else around to get people, to get leaders to think about this differently. So I'm gonna have each of you introduce yourselves, say who you are, uh, where you're from and why is talking about this conversation in a very different way so important and why is that important right now? I'll start with you, um, Dr. Yvonne Terrell Powell. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Dr. Yvonne Terrell Powell. Uh, I um, do uh, consulting work through Diversity Matters, which I know is an old term, but that's how long I've been in the work. Um, and also I have uh, co-authored a book with my sister called An Intentional Walk with God, 101 Days Journey. Um, and that's an opportunity for folks to take an intentional walk uh, and build a closer relationship, uh, especially as we find ourselves in these times. I also uh, provide leadership at uh, Edmonds Community College, uh, which is... Um, you know, located uh, in the, you know, Linwood and Edmonds area. I'm the vice president for equity, inclusion, and belonging uh, at that institution. Thank you, ma'am. Why, why, why is it important that we, we think about equity and inclusion in a way that makes it more real for leaders? Why is it so important that we stop thinking about it in an academic way, but really think about the lives that are impacted. I've, I literally have done over a thousand interviews with people and, and the stories aren't pretty, right? When, when people experience these, these unconscious bias, these, these, these challenges in corporate America, it, it can be, it could devastate lives. We, we have time. I mean, the stories are just heartbreaking sometimes. So my question to you is for those people who haven't experienced it, that's great, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening. So my question is, how do we elevate the level of severity around what's happening? Why is that important? Well, you know, Tracy, I believe the level has been elevated. Um, it's how do people acknowledge that the level has been elevated and begin to determine what it means to their corporations and what does it mean to their individuals and their personal lives? Um, people have been, as you said earlier, they've been you know, bringing this to individuals' attention for a while, 
but I think as many know, as we have um, come into this current time out of uh, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, um, George Floyd, and many others since then and before, uh, that the water is shifting and the water is, is, is more than rumbling at this point. Uh, we're starting to see major waves. It's the question is, uh, are corporations looking into the future and acknowledging that these um, signals have been there and these signals continue to be there? And what can they do to address the signals as they're moving their corporations and their companies into the future? And so again, I would say it's, it's not new information. Uh, it's, it's not a higher level that it needs to go to. It can, right? We just wouldn't know really what that would look like. It could go higher. People are already in the streets. People are already asking policies to be changed. People are already going to their HR saying, this is how I'm being treated. Like all those types of things are already happening. And so I, again, like I, the issue is how do we begin to created as a sense of urgency. And that's where each corporation has to lean back into their mission, their values, their core, um, their visions. And they have to lean back into that and they have to push through and say, this is where, this is where we stand. I love it. I love it. One of my other most, most favorite individuals, Dr. Jerry Bird-Tart. Can you answer the same question? We just had you on talking about, um, basically the topic was thriving in 2020. We talked about physical, mental, and spiritual wellness and why all those things are important. Well, if you think about it, physical, spiritual, and mental wellness, we just talked about that for a whole hour with another guest. Now we're here talking about equity and inclusion. But if you think about it, those topics definitely relate to what we're talking about. They definitely relate to equity and inclusion. So introduce yourself and tell us why it's so important that we really have a more integrated whole conversation about the, the, the human beings that are being impacted by what we know currently exists. Hi, everybody. Again, my name is uh, Jerry Birch Tart. I'm a, a psychotherapist here in Orlando, Florida. So, um, and Trace is right. I've known her for a minute as it were. And I've, I've been really enjoyed being on her program. And thank you again for that. And hi again, Dr. Yvonne Terrell Power. It's good to see you again. It's good. Okay. And to answer your question, uh, Tracy, uh, uh, Dr. Power, when you were speaking, I'm sorry, I, I, I heard uh, the, so one of the things that you said is, is that the, the, uh, the urgency is here already. Uh, and that is true. And Tracy, I wanted to say something about what you said, because I think it, it really is true. There are a number of people who say, well, maybe I've not, they may be saying I've not experienced that. So I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about, because I really have, uh, I mean, I was there when they broke ground. I've, I've always been a part and I've, I've moved strategically through the system. So, so it's hard for me to relate to what you're saying, even though their cousin, their sister, somebody else, a spouse or whomever may have been saying that they're experiencing. But to the point, um, I think that one of the things that makes this so important is that when you give yourself permission to ask the question, what would that really feel like? Then I think that opens it a little bit. But if ever it is that you're given a sucker punch, because you didn't think that that was going to happen to you, I think it brings it home real quick, fast, and in a hurry. And with that, where I'm set, where I'm going with that is that when we understand what that feeling is, if we can believe that any and everybody could possibly feel the same depth of hurt, pain, uh, 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 betrayal, uh, you know, 
disappointment, whatever the emotion is, when we understand the severity of that. And if that emotion isn't taken care of, or if there isn't a, a, a relationship of how to process that, it can be devastating because it can shut you down. And, and yes, we have been talking about this for decades, centuries, all right? And what then do we do? And I submit to the point that I was just making that when we don't pay attention or take care of how to unpack that emotional uh, sucker punch or trauma, then we just shut down. We don't know what to do, so we don't do anything. Or we get angry, okay? We get angry and we hurt. And of course the adage hurts people hurt. So how do we bring it to the level so that everybody can understand? Relates to something that we all have and we all have emotions. Mm. So we talk about them. We say, well, what, what is it that causes or why is it that this is so difficult for you to see? How, why is it that it's difficult for you to understand my narrative? I've, I've got some time. We've got more time than we've got money. So talk to me and I'll talk to you. Maybe if we can just truly one-on-one -on -one be just as, 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 as transparent and I've learned of late that I used to say oftentimes, let's be vulnerable. That's scary. People are afraid of that word for a lot of, for a lot of reasons. And I, and I understand that. So let's talk softly as it were with the term or, or, or verbiage that others can relate to that's non-aggressive. And then we, we pull it up and talk about, you said something about um, people already in the streets, uh, 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 Yvonne, and if, if it doesn't, if they don't pay attention, then it can get worse than that. Well, rather than to go that way, can we go the other way? Can we say, just like the scripture says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Can mm. I understand where you're coming from? Can I see you as the human being that I am? And hopefully you can see me as the human being that you are. Can we go there? And maybe we can make some strides, Tracy, from there, we can move to, from here to here. And you know, sometimes people say, well, I, I gave you an inch, now you want a mile, okay? Then let's talk about how much really is an inch? You know, for real? I mean, <laughs> is that all you want from me? You just want me to give you an inch? You know, like, like that. Can we be human enough to uh, be transparent right. with one another and show that love? Go ahead. And I was gonna say, what I love about you is, you, you both work in the area of equity and inclusion. You, in a sense, Dr. Tart, because you're in part of the EAP, you're one of the EAP providers. Explain to people what EAP is and how you, you um, help uh, you know, corporations, organizations, and individuals, professionals deal with workplace trauma without actually dealing with it in the workplace. You pull them out, but we're yeah. still not dealing with the trauma in the workplace. We're not fixing the source. You're just pulling people out saying, here's what you do when you go back to the crazy people. Right. I mean, I'm joking. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about EAP. The EAP is short for the Employee Assistance Program. Okay. And a number of companies across the board, and it is just it's incredible. I think the program was started first with either Levi Strauss. I think they were maybe one of the first major uh, companies to embrace the program. And that was over 40 years ago. So companies have really, really come a long way. And one of the, and what it was called once upon a time was uh, the alcoholism program, because a number of people were trying to deal with their issues by, um, using substances and those kinds of things. And uh, companies recognized that they were losing uh, not only the bottom line, or it was affecting the bottom line, but they were losing some very talented people because they were overwhelmed and they didn't understand what to do. And it was it was across the board. It was absolutely across the board. So the program was, was created to assist 
um, not only the companies but the employees for short-term uh, short short-term uh, focus counseling. Uh, they did they steered away from the word counseling, but that's exactly what it was. It was you bring me the problem. Let's see if we can unpack the problem, find out where the problem is, see where it is that we can uh, possibly make some uh, suggestions or uh, do uh, some things different so that there it can be a win-win. So if it were that we're talking about and what the program also allowed is that even if it were that you brought a, a problem, a, a company related problem or a uh, work related problem. And if it um, in, the, in, the, in the process of, of uh, assessing, we recognize that it was a deeper issue, then you had the opportunity to be referred out for long-term counseling, which was possibly needed in a number of cases. But in addition to that, because companies did not want to lose their employees or as many of their employees, they decided that they would partner with a number of facilities, substance related facilities or whatever. And I used to work for a major aerospace company here in Florida. And one of the things that they did, it really was included in their policy. So if we're talking about policy, things can be changed from a, from a, a, policy, a policy perspective to make the companies stronger. So that's a point of reference. You know, we talked early about going someplace where there's already a relationship. So since you already have an employee and a, a, a concept to improve your employees' performance, then if we could do that with EAP, then we can do that as it relates to understanding how people can be um, effectively, and if I can use the term managed or um, groomed, that's the word, to get to the places where that uh, uh, inclusiveness, Tracy, that you were talking about, mm -hmm. can become a part of, you know? We want, we all have something to bring to the table. Can we see the value of that? Because sometimes it is, it is, it is difficult to do that because of the, because of the verbiage. And I, I mean, mm -hmm. literally just that, the word that you use for something and the word that I use for something Absolutely. is the way that you say it and the way that I say it in some way or the other, there's a sense of judgment and then somebody is going to kind of fall off the wagon, but even there, one of the other things that the employee assistance programs did do was to be able to come in. There were individuals, we would go into different uh, organizations, different companies, and we would have lunch and learns. We would have um, management programs. You know, how does a, a frontline supervisor deal with five people that, you know, he was, he or she once worked with, and now that he's a supervisor, what about the pushback? What about, about the angst mm -hmm. and the anger and the resentment and whatever that comes with? So we would talk clearly about that. Basically, like I'm talking. I, I yeah. love it. Yeah. I love it. So basically, kind of it was a focus on mental health and I love it. So so yeah. what I love about what you guys, you did is when someone has been, when this concept of racial equity and inclusion, I get all the numbers would say that there's clearly challenges mm -hmm. in the area when it, in, the, in this area, when it comes to, um, equity for black professionals. I mean, there's no question about the data. So Dr. Yvonne, when you say, you know, there's some urgency there, I think there's an urgency in hiring people. I think there's an urgency in trying to have some courageous conversations. I haven't seen much deeper than that. So I would need you to help me out here. What would you recommend as Dr. Tart is helping the individual who's been affected by 
some form of exclusion. And we know there's a whole, Harvard has done this whole series of research as most academic institutions around what happens to people. Like Dr. Tart said, you shut down. There's things that happen when you're excluded. And now you got something really to talk about. You didn't have anything before, but now that I've been excluded, now you got something to talk about. So my mm -hmm. question to you is what can we, what, what recommendations would you have for leaders who are in the companies to actually change how they connect with individuals, how how the, the empowerment of individuals to be able to call out. This feels like I call them a bigger than me moment, right? I'm, I'm, I'm using the new language. This feels like a bigger than me moment, right? If there's a, a situation, you can call it unconscious bias, you can call it whatever, but it's something that we need to have a different conversation about because it feels systemic. Like it's not about you and I, it's about the system that allows these things to persist, which is why we still having the conversation 30, 40 years later. So what can you tell us about true change at a system le systemic level and the power shift to say, hey, that person now has a different outlet? Yes, I, I just want to pick up too, before we go into that on what mm -hmm. Dr. Um, Hart said about just EAP. Yeah. EAP is focused on the employee mm -hmm. and where we have the concerns is what is happening in, with the employers, the institution. When we talk about systemic racism, we have to talk about institutions. What are in the institutions and what are they manifesting? And so one of the key things we know, I know Dr. Tart knows too, she's been in this for a while, you have to look at your policies. Like mm -hmm. what are your policies? And listen to the voices of the people uh, because uh, black people and other people of color, BIPOC in general, they have an understanding of what they're experiencing. And so the institutions have to look, listen to what they're experiencing. And they also have answers around what the institution can do to remedy those particular issues. And so the institution really has to take some ownership related to we want to listen, we want to hear, and we want to take some strategic and intentional actions that will support our employees as well as support the work that we've been charged to do. Um, I think Dr. Kendi's work is clear. Your races are anti-racist. You're a racist if you are not working on policies, you're not working on the core of the work, then you continue to fall within a racist institution. There's also the work out there around a multicultural organization or the continuum of becoming a racist, a non-racist, uh, an anti-racist organization. And all of those say, you have to look at policy. You have to look at training. You have to create a comprehensive model. So what's happening at your trustee level, what's happening in your communities, what's happening with your employees. Uh, I'm in a, a college campus, so what's happening with our students. You have to have this comprehensive model because one needs the other. This is not something that you can do like, okay, we're just gonna get do training. We know training by itself is not effective. Okay, we're going to just do policy. We know policy by itself is not effective because out of policy should manifest uh, procedures and practices. So I would say really listen to the concerns that your marginalized and or BIPOC individuals are bringing to you and then listen to how they are saying they believe that particular issue can be remedied and then begin to identify resources that can lead to intentionally and strategically implementing those ideas. And then those ideas should line up with what you've identified as your vision, your mission, and your goals. It should line up. And then you track that data 
because your data should say, are we getting the job done or not? If you're not, you know, you, you know, we know this work in business. If you're <laughs> readjust, right. And you continue to move forward with a commitment to racial equity and inclusion. I want to add one more point around vulnerability. I think people of color have been vulnerable uh, at the foundation of all of this work. Uh, we are put in a lot of different uh, positions that uh, create vulnerability. Uh, and I know we don't necessarily like that term. And I, I agree, but we do know that that has happened uh, and it continues to happen. I, I actually love the term. I love it. I've been trying to bring it to the forefront. I would say a lot of people don't want to admit it. If you're black and you're in a, a professional role and you haven't been um, traumatized in some particular way in, in your current company, for example, or maybe never, that's great. But the statistics would say that is not the experience for most of us. That's what the statistics would say as it relates to retention and all those various things. So I love the conversation of vulnerability. Tell us more. Well, I, I, we know, um, you know, Dr. Tart, you know this work, you know, vulnerability uh, is a part of the work that we do. Um, and it can, it can appear, I do think we have to be careful with how we're vulnerable. You know, some people have this whole concept of you can just be vulnerable. You can just put it all on your sleeve. I don't believe that's the case for BIPOC because of the institutions that we're working in. So I do think we have to think about what does vulnerability look like for us and be aware of what the possible cost is to being vulnerable and what might it have already cost us. So I think that's important for us to think about. I also think about when we talk about, I know Dr. Tart, you brought, brought up how do we unpack the trauma and how do you know and, and how do we unpack it? And one of the emotions that comes out is anger. And, and I would say yes and we know it also comes out somatic form, right? It could come out through your dreams, start having nightmares or not sleep at all. We know it could come out um, through mental health. Uh, as we're talking about, you can deal with anxiety, depression. Um, you can deal with other types of mental health concerns. We also know that it could come out, you know, psychologically. We know it could come out spiritually, right? It can have a damper on your spirit. And I think it's uh, Dr. Williams' work, who he focuses on uh, racial battle fatigue and the impact of racial battle fatigue and how it impacts us in all of these different areas, whether it's physiological, whether it's mental, whether it's psychological, where it's bi biological. And then I have been having a conversation around the spiritual side. How does it impact us spiritually? So I do think these are coming out and they come out with behaviors. And what we want to do in our field is to like, how do we address the behavior? So folks know that's not just me. This is manifesting due to systemic racism or how I'm being treated when I go out to a store or how I'm being treated in my job, how I'm being talked to. This is a manifestation of this. And so I just think it's important for us to uh, continue to keep our sort of eyes on those behaviors and folks understand where they're coming from. Mm, I love it. I love it. Dr. Tart. Yeah. If I could just, uh, 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 Dr. Zahn, you were just on point. There's so many things that you said that I really wanted to uh, pay attention to and, and, and comment on. And one, if I can go back to uh, just what we call certain things, because sometimes that, that can be really, really hard. And when we think of these, the, co the corporations, the, uh, the companies, these major companies and corporations that have been in place even on, on regardless, even in colleges and universities, it's difficult, and we all know this, for people to identify themselves with something um, that isn't very popular necessarily, okay? 
So it's hard for them. It's it's like if you say to Fred over here that you 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 divided the companies and what did you say uh, racist or anti-racist companies? Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. So you go over here to Fred. A company at large, and you say that you know your 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 behavior, or I look at the your your, your employees, and and you qualify. I mean, I'm sorry, you're labeled as a racist company, and then you know you 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 have an opportunity to be uh, at the at at the table with the chairman of the board, and he or she is saying that's the last thing that I am. Where I'm going with that is that how we resist those things that we don't see ourselves as being, right? So then, when, and you said something about vulnerability. And I think that that becomes, and I want to tie the two in together because you're right. I think that sometimes people use that term when they think of their loved ones. I can be vulnerable with my husband because I love him and he loves me and he he's not, he's not my enemy, right? But when I'm at work, if I'm using that same concept of vulnerability and I'm dealing with somebody who really doesn't know me and I'm, I put it all out there and he or she takes that and rub it in my face or put it out there on Facebook or Twitter or whatever the social media medias are. I'm going to be devastated. And I've worked with employees like that when they have absolutely broken. I'm, I'm, they have become broken because they believed that the company should have been. They should have sent them flowers for their dad's death or their mother's death or whatever. And they didn't because that just wasn't their policy or they didn't have time for that or whatever. But the point that I'm making is that from their perspective, they are saying, I'm broken. I was vulnerable, so I will never trust again. So it's about clarity. That's why I said a moment ago about how do we say what we mean? You can say one thing and I can say another. When you, and when, so when you use the term vulnerable, yes, I think that we do need to be vulnerable, but what does that, and you made that point, what does that look like in the workplace? It doesn't mean that your, your, your director is going to treat you like your husband treats you or your wife treats you when you share something very special or tender to them, with them or whatever. There, uh, there was something else that you said that I, I really wanted to comment on and right now I'm having a senior moment, but it'll come to me. Uh, what, what, what I love about what both of you guys are saying, and I, I'm loving this conversation, we're talking about achieving racial equity and inclusion in business. We've talked about the business case for diversity. So we all know that diverse companies are more profitable, they're more successful. So that concept is easy, right? But we also know that the data tells us that diversity, all the research actually says diversity, you'll never get the benefits of diversity unless you focus on inclusion, right? Because you have to bring in and create create that safe space. So we talked about you, Dr. Tart, you're a therapist, you worked in with EAP. Yvonne talked about, basically we gotta, we gotta do this work for both the employee who might be impacted, but we also have to do work internally, real work internally, to change the narrative around what the experience for obviously some black professionals have in corporate America. So we got to really shift thinking and not just say, I'm going to hire 25% more black people. It's like, don't do it unless you're going to create some new paradigms, unless you're going to create new policies and procedures, unless you're going to shift what the experience looks like and what the opportunity looks like. You, you, sounds like you had a, you had a moment that something came back to you, yes, Dr. Tart. Yes, it did. Because I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking about what our world looked like uh, back in the day when, if you guys can remember, one of the first times that we had a uh, uh, violent death in the workplace where people were shooting in the workplace. And do you remember 
Do you remember how companies, they changed their physical existence, you know, their, their protection, uh, everybody was, was checked and rechecked and whatever, and particularly where I was working at the time. But the point that I'm trying to make is that there was a trigger that caused that movement, right? Because at one point when it happened initially, remember back, back in the day, they used to call it going postal? Because I think that may I, have been- I do. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So they kind of, uh, uh, they, 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 it was relegated to, you know, the post office or it was relegated, but everybody knew what you were talking about when you said <laughs> that, right? And when it, re- when it was, when it was realized that it wasn't, it wasn't exclusive there, it was going to be across the board. Policies were made, but why were those policies made? They were made out of fear, mm. right? That was the motivating factor. So right now, when we're talking about in inclusiveness and we're talking about like you just said i'm going to go out and hire 25 percent more um you know uh minorities or whatever and i'm going to bring them in and and then everybody is going to be fine really okay so are you doing that for the same reason that you put up barricades and you put up um systems to be to scan you when you come in are you doing it for that reason or are you doing it are you doing it because it's the right thing to do? Are you doing it because of the, the value that you see that the other person can bring to the table? And I know I may sound like a broken record, but I believe that if we aren't emotionally connected to the policies that we are making for the good, for the better, and Yvonne, this, in my opinion, I think it, it, it relates directly to what you say that you and your sister are writing about or have written about in your, in your spiritual book. And this is bigger than me. This is, this is bigger than us. So if we don't have that understanding of the fact that we are literally, and I'm going to use the term love, that's what we're talking about, but how do we do that in the workplace? How do we do that across the board? And yeah, maybe I am being Pollyanna, but the point that I'm trying to make, I don't think so. I think that- You, you and me both. I mean, you know, that's why I love you so much yeah. is because we recognize that there's a problem, but we also recognize that the, the solutions, yes. and to, to yes. Yvonne's point, there's a multi-layered, multi-faceted solution that is required. And I do believe love is one of them. I yes. had to fill myself. I started a ministry after I left my last corporate job because I needed to fill myself with Jesus from head to toe. I knew I was going to be doing some work that was going to be some serious equity and inclusion work. It's always been important, but changing policies and really getting people to think about really how um, they can shift procedures, how they can really think about power, perspective. These are the three the three P's that, uh, that Brene Brown talks about, you know, the, the importance of telling our stories, right? But then she talks about perspective. She talks about, you know, uh, privilege. She also talks about power. And at the end of the day, it really is about power. So when something is happening to you, when you experience unconscious bias or unequal performance standards, unless there's a shift in power, unless you're able to shift the conversation from what you've been having, you're going to get what you've been you're going to get the same outcome 40 years from now that we've been talking about for the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. So, so Vivon, I know part of your work has been around, how do you shift? How do we change that? And I use the term, I, I trademarked a term called corporate chokeholds because I really wanted to bring a different level of visibility to what's happening. I, I want to ensure that we're not just thinking that the, the, the inequities that we're protesting in the streets of America, you know, b- based on police brutality is just happening there. Because what's happening, in, and I know you know, Dr. Sharp, because I've spoken to a number of, of therapists who work in the area of equity and inclusion who, get, who have ex-specialty. Um, people are traumatized. Lives are, lives are transformed mm-hmm. as a result of what we just call unconscious bias and unequal performance standards, but we don't talk about it. So mm-hmm. it is important for us to talk about it, to elevate it, and to try to shift 
the, the, the opportunity for a different outcome. So we're going to talk about systems now for our last 20 minutes. Can y'all believe you only have 20 minutes left? Systems, systems change. I'm going to go to you, uh, Dr. Yvonne Terrell Powell. Let's talk about systems change. Now, this idea of us creating a, I'm calling them these, these corporate chokeholds, not creating them, we're just labeling them corporate chokeholds for the community that have been most marginalized, who the data would say are the least, who've least benefited from affirmative action or any other positive action that was put in place in the businesses. Right. There's less African. I mean, there's, there's tons of research. I don't need to go through it, but we, we know the challenges. So my question to you is, what are some of the um, recommendations that you would share regarding this idea of stop corporate chokeholds? How do you get how do you get uh, executives to think about it in a different way to really shift their thinking from let's hire more black people and that should fix the problem. We won't look like we're racist then. Right. No, no, no. Let's make sure that when a black person has an experience, when you say hear their voices, it ain't about just hearing it. If there's not some resolution process that will allow it to be resolved differently, then the system continues. So let's talk about that. What are your thoughts about that? Are you aware of any research? And if you're looking at systems, um, the continuum on racism, um, which is uh, done some work was Bailey and Jackson's work that did the multicultural organizational development model. And then most recently, I can't not recall her name, my apologies, but uh, she's out of the Puget Sound Educational District. She also did some work on the continuum related to becoming an anti-racist institution. It'll come to me. Um, but I would think it's the same model. We know the model, you create a sense of urgency. Like we all know that, like, like the model doesn't change is what you do in the model, right? So once you create a sense of urgency, you have to be really clear on what's the problem and what are you creating the sense of urgency around? And so if the sense of urgency is that we believe you should have racial equity and justice and fairness within our organizations, if that's the, if that's the issue, then what's the problem? The problem is then we're not. So let's look at our data and let's listen to our individuals and then let's strategically think about it. But you also have to employ a change management model. Like you can't just sort of say, we're gonna do these things yet you have not positioned yourself with a change management model where you are looking at, okay, are the people aware? Are they aware of what the current issues are? Are they aware that we've, what we've done before and what we're doing now? Are they clear that this is our goal? Are they clear that we're championing these issues? Are they clear on what their role in and helping us move forward, right? You have to have a change management model because urgency is also a part of a change management model. And so once you have it, you have to move through your model. So I think that's really important. You really do have to just listen to the people. You know, when you're, if you're marginalized and you're underrepresented or you're part of BIPOC, you've been telling management for a while. And if you haven't, that means the culture has been created so you don't feel safe enough to tell management. But once management can, begins to champion diversity, equity, and inclusion, then you'll hear more people saying, and this is what happened to me. And this is what happened to her. And this is what happened to they. And I have something to say. Do you want to hear what I have to say? And so you, again, you have to create that space so folks can share their stories. And then those folks who are your allies or your advocates or your accomplices, they also have a voice because they've been watching it too. And so you want to hear from them also to get a sense of what they've been seeing, what they've been watching, and what have been some of their ideas as they have partnered with those groups that are marginalized, underrepresented, or underserved. And so you have to like really listen. And then I think as you listen, you run a comprehensive model. 
You have to run a comprehensive model. What is your board saying? Is there a direction and championship from the board? Is there a direction and championship from the vice president, the president and leadership? Is there a direction coming from your um, sort of your middle management, right? Because oftentimes we do need to put some more time within that middle management space also. And then when you go also, you keep going, what are your people, your community? What are your individuals saying about where you are and what they hope you would accomplish that would allow them to feel like they belong, allow them to do their best work, allow them to find a place where they can heal and, and move forward. So it's just, you know, it's a comprehensive model. And I just think every, my recommendation would be agencies uh, and, this, and organizations and, um, assess themselves and assess it using a comprehensive model. And when you use that, I think it picks up everything as you run through a change, uh, change management model. And it's not new. Look at your neighbor. I mean, there's, it's, there, there's, organizations, there's organizations doing this all the time. It's not new. So just look across the pathway and partner, right? And sort of say, okay, what can we do to really let our individuals know that it wasn't just a letter? We did commit to taking action. And this is what our action looks like. And it looks like this because we heard your voices. We also know the research. We know the data. And when we pull that together, we are prepared to move forward. Will it be like fast? No, this is a slow process. But I think if people know you're moving forward, they're willing to make that commitment and move with you. I love it. I love it. So ladies, in our last 16 minutes, what I'd like to focus on is continuing this conversation. But think about the reason I use the term Stop corporate chokeholds is, and I, and I was using that term before George Floyd, by the way. So, so I know he was choked out, but Dr. Tart, you and I, you know, I've written white papers, et cetera, on this idea over the last two years. I've been focused on like, what can we do? I feel like we, we as black professionals have a responsibility to the youth. Like I literally have had interns, black interns in my office wanting to commit suicide because of the experiences that they were having in corporate America. No one told them that it was possible that they would go into an organization and have traumatic experiences. No one, they didn't know. And I'm like, well, we gotta do better. First of all, we gotta be able to talk about this so that we, so that they know they're not the only person who's having this experience, right? This is the experience that happens. So I've literally have like a thousand interviews now with individuals who are willing to tell their story and to put it out there. So my question is, as we have these conversations, let's take it to a, a, a more practical level. So when I say stop corporate chokeholds, that means get your knee off my neck immediately. Do you understand what I'm saying? This, this is not a, let's wait six years from now until we can let it get better. Of course, it's, some things are going to take time, but some things don't take, don't need to take time. We're saying in the moment, because if you think about culture eats strategy for, for, for lunch, right? We know that to be true, right? Culture is more important. The culture that you've created is critical. So what I'm saying is every moment, every moment of truth, every interaction, Dr. Chart, you and I one-on-one, -on -one, when you and I have a, 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 a connection, when you and I have a challenge, it basically is about what will you do that will help shape my personal experience. So my question to you is, what advice would you share as we think about that one-on-one -on -one experience and how someone can actually change the outcome, change the experience of that individual by changing the outcome between the two of us? I call these, again, these bigger than me moments. If we're saying stop corporate chokeholds, that means get your knee off my neck. That means when I experience unconscious bias, when I experience unequal performance standards, the things that all the research says are, are, are the barriers for black professionals, the challenges, mm -hmm. Do you agree that there needs to be a shift in power? There needs to be a different outcome. So this idea of stop corporate chokeholds, 
highlight, hey, this feels like a bigger than me moment to, to me. Like, let's talk a little bit about why it's so important that we shift the power structure so that that person who is having the experience has an outcome, ha ha has an outlet, has some place to go different than the way the, the systems are set up today. I think it's, well, it's, 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 it's urgent and it's important for survival because they need to survive. But uh, um, uh, Yvonne, as you were sharing, and I was thinking about the system that you were talking about, step, uh, Tracy, I want to go there just for a second because I think it, it's relevant to what you said. What do we say to the generation that's coming? What is the, what's, what, what do we need? Where is the accountability? Where's the, and by that I mean, if, if you say that your policy says that these are consequences, that's the word that I was looking for. What's the consequence? If you don't get your knee off of my neck, what is the consequence? Right? Oh, not not just I'm not just talking about death, but what's the con consequence for the company? Do we do we do we feel that we can go there and speak to the consequence? When you go to your manager, you go to your director, and you said that according to this, that, and the other. So what does that mean? We've got to know the policy. We've got to know the policy, and if we believe in the policy, and we're going to exercise, we're going to we're going to execute. Okay, we're going to go and we're going to say, well, I need to take it to another level. Well, well, but well, but that may bring uh, some other kind of issue for me. But are you willing to do this for your survival? Because you said, I want to breathe. I want to breathe. So, okay, I'm asking you to take it off and you aren't willing to take it off because you're saying that I'm not deserving. Well, okay, then I need you to understand that there's a consequence. So are we willing to take it to wherever it is that we need to take it so that the consequence can be executed? That's, that's, I think that that's a major part of making all of this happen. We can even say that you were talking about talking, talking to your neighbor. And I took that literal because I was thinking about our homeowners association. If certain things aren't done, then there is a consequence. Okay. We, if, if we drive on the wrong side of the uh, road here in the U S there is a major consequence, life or death. Okay. There are consequences. So are we, do we know the policy enough to take it to that level? Okay, I, mean, I apologize for the phone ringing, but do we know the consequences enough to take it to that level? Do we, are we willing to do that because we believe that it is worthwhile? Can we say that to that intern that's coming in? Let's first and foremost, let's find out not only why did you take this job and you know you have this idea, this, this you know, we, we believe that this is the best thing since sliced bread and oh Jesus, I've made it and glory, hallelujah and all this kind of good stuff. And then you get this first supervisor and he or she just takes the legs from under you. Then what do you do with that? And you know how we label people. Uh, uh, Victor was talking about it early on when he was talking about males not doing certain things. I don't want to be a crybaby, but I don't want to be a snitch. I'm not going to, well, what does that get you? Where's the value of you knowing that there needs to be a consequence for this, but you choose not to exercise the, the avenue that you have. And if you don't do that, when we do shut down, and sometimes we are too traumatized to, that's why you're going to talk to somebody like me. But then when, <laughs> after that, you're going to go and say, I will take that, I'll take that, that, that step and I'll take it further. I know that we all know that EEO used to represent something like that. Ethics used to re represent something like that. And those things, those organizations are still within the organizations. They, they are policies and directions and things that we are supposed to do. But oftentimes we can very easily become threatened or in some cases, depending on the le length of time that you've had to contend with that, you take it as a norm. Well, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, but my contention is that it is what it is until it's different. 
And it can be different <laughs> when we make us make it when we choose to do the thing that's going to make it different. So Tracy, to your point, we push, we tell that little young brain that's that, that's coming in. These are the things that I need you to know. We're talking about survival skills, and it's not about aggression all the time. And I have to say this because it is the truth. God said, leave some room for me. Vengeance is mine and I will recompense. And I'm not talking about just burying your head in the sand. I'm talking about being courageous enough to say, we've got to do this. This system, this company says that they are anti-racist. So let's do our part. Let's be brave enough. Let's be conscientious enough to do our due diligence. Okay. And then we take it to wherever it is that we need to take it. Violence isn't the answer all of the time. And we know that, right? So what then do we do? If we want this inclusion, what does it look like? Are we willing to spend the time? Because we can come in with our process of thought, our philosophies. Are we willing to say, I, I'm, going to sh I'm going to be the change that I wanna see. Mm -hmm. Hey, can we do that? I, I love it. How, does that bring about the, does that help to bring about the inclusion? I okay. love it. it. I love what you said, Dr. Todd. I hear the word courage. I hear that, you know, that you, you were making choices. We have to decide that there are consequences. The reason I actually said, you know, I call this, this one of the actions, these bigger than me moments. The reason this is a bigger than me movement is because you said earlier in the other show, you know, sometimes people don't even believe that they're worth it. They've been traumatized for so long. They've been conditioned that this is just how it is. How many black people have heard you got to work twice as hard to get half the credit? Have yep. you ever heard that? Yep, 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 yep. yep. Wait, oh, I got to wave, 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 wave. <laughs> I'm doing YouTube Live with the Hubbard Studios. I'm doing a Facebook Live. I just got wave, wave, wave. <laughs> so we've heard it. So we basically just assume we got to do twice as much work to get half and only expect to get half the credit. So if we're assuming that, it means we got to decide that we're going to have a new level of expectation. We have to decide. So stopping corporate chokeholds means we have to, first of all, acknowledge that there is a chokehold. We have to be willing to say, as a Black professional, yes, that has been my experience. I loved everything you shared, Yvonne, and everything you said as well, Dr. Dr. Chart. With our seven minutes left, Yvonne, I'm going to shift to you, and then I'm going to come back to you, Dr. Chart, to close this out. So Yvonne, you know, what Dr. Chart just said is we have to, I saw you taking notes, so I'll just let you take it from there. What, what were you thinking from what she said? You are mute. I would say yes, uh, most definitely. Uh, I agree with what Dr. Tart is saying. Uh, you know, you have to be courageous and bravery and, uh, you know, be prepared for the consequences. I think that's what corporate has to be. That, see, hold on, hold on, hold on, pause, pause, pause. Because that's exactly what I need for us to focus on for these last seven minutes. What do the corporations need to do differently? When I say stop corporate chokeholds, I'm saying leaders. You have to decide that you want to hear that you want and you want to do something different. So please tell us, tell us what do the corporations need to do specifically in a case where an individual is identifying this is bigger than me, right? It's not even about me. At this point, I want to make sure that my child is not coming to an organization and have the same experience. Sometimes we have to like shift our paradigm in that way because we've been used to it. But most of us will fight harder for our children than we will for ourselves. Like, do you want that your child to have that same experience? So talk, talk to me about what the organization needs to do. I, I agree that it's bigger than us and it's not, right? It's bigger than us and we work in corporations and higher education and other, you know, entities. And so we, those entities have a responsibility to be courageous, to show bravery and to talk about what are the consequences if they don't meet their goals. 
So there's this accountability piece. We set the goals, we've listened, we've intentionally made, taken action, we've looped them into our strategic plans. And if we don't meet the mark, there's consequences. And we just know we kind of live in this world where when there's consequences, we seem to do a little better. <laughs> yes. And I just think it's really important for us not to put the blame on the people. It's not to say that people don't have different types of behaviors. I agree with that. But oftentimes the structure does not want to own it. So what does it mean for them to be courageous? What does it mean for them to step out and put this in their mission statement? What does it mean for them to step out and show specifically what type of work are they doing to, to address any equity and inclusion concerns that they have, right? How do they show that they're championing the issue around equity, inclusion, and belonging? To me, that belongs to the corporation or higher education or the specific entity. And so I think the more we do that, we come out of, we just said it, or we just wrote it. And we have accountability from the communities, accountability from our employees, and we receive that accountability. We receive it and say, we wanna do better. We wanna do better as employees. We wanna do better as leadership. We want to do better. I think when we can say we wanna do better and we are doing better, and this is the work that we are doing here. Here's my record. Check my record. When you can flip that record up and say, check my record and your employees in the community will agree, then you know you are moving towards becoming an anti-racist institution. You just nailed it. That's exactly what, I just actually wrote an article for Diversity MBA Magazine. I'm gonna incorporate some of these quotes that you guys have shared today, so you guys will be quoted in my in this article. But I literally said those exact words, like we have to elevate the conversation. The reason I was being provocative using the term, creating the term, a corporate chokeholds because I absolutely wanted to bring in them a level of urgency, a level of personal accountability, and a level of, of, of to your point, consequence. People are dying, right? Yeah. We must do things differently. Dr. Chart, with the last two minutes, what loving words, since love is your word, what loving words would you share with leaders out there building on what we're talking about here, right? These are the, 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 the leaders who we're saying that the next thing is for you to accept a new level of accountability, a new level of consequence for yourself. Yes, for yourself, for yourself. And if you recognize that you were saying or sharing with the world that you were this person who wants to show that, um, that, that you do believe in, in, in uh, equality across the board, that you do believe in inclusion, then are you brave enough? Are you willing to do that? It means that you have to step outside of your comfort zone because it may, it may very well mean that. And and more importantly, you can be the you can be the pathfinder. You can be the first one out there. You know you can knock it out of the ballpark. All right, that's what I'm saying. You if if, if this is who you say that you truly are and you want the world to know that, then be brave. Hey, yell it from us the, the the housetops and say I'm willing. I'm willing to do this. I heard my entire whatever organization it was say this, that, and the third, and I'm, I'm listening. And these are the words that they gave to me to say that this will matter, then I'm willing to use those words because I want that kind of energy at my table to do what we said that we stand for. That's what I mm. would do. That's I love. love. It. That's I love nice. it. I love it. Yvonne Terrell, you're nodding your head with a level of urgency. You got 30 <laughs> seconds before he closes us out. Anything you want to share? 
I just love it. And a part of what Dr. Hart is saying, you know, if we are talking about love and care, love and care is a part of the racial equity and inclusion work that we have to do. And it comes with behaviors. And we can show that if we make that commitment. Mm, wow. Ladies, this has been absolutely the conversation that I wanted to have today. I am grateful for each of you. And if you're watching, if you could hear what these ladies were sharing, it really is about each of us taking accountability, each of us being responsible. We talked earlier about acknowledging that there's a problem. And so we know there's a problem and we know there's a solution and we're gonna continue this conversation. Oh, this Thursday on the 17th, 19th, this Thursday on the 19th, we have our next session in the Equity and Inclusion Initiative. Uh, you can find us on it's allbiggerthanme.com and we'll definitely look forward to having you guys continue this conversation.